1: And welcome to the Latin American History Podcast. Episode 87 De Coronado and the Search for the Cities of Gold. At the end of last episode, De Coronado was just setting off on his new expedition to the mythical city of Cibola. De Coronado had with him a couple of thousand people. I mentioned Flint's work analyzing the original documents and the lists of people took part. I've said this before, but it's worth mentioning again to remind ourselves, as Flint makes a point of emphasising it. There were few Spaniards among them. Most of those who went with De Coronado were indigenous allies, and there were also enslaved Africans. Dinitza was also there, and his job was to act as a guide. The march to Sibula was largely uneventful. It was discovered, however, that the land they passed through was not as fertile as Dinitza's account suggested. They were forced to split into groups, so that each one would be able to find in different places the food they needed to survive. They also found that the leader of the previous expedition, the one they met at the end of last episode, was not exaggerating when he warned them about the cold. As they marched further into what they were now calling Cierra Nueva, new land, they found that they were completely under-equipped for the temperatures they encountered, and this made the journey much harder. According to Stan Hoig's book, Came Men on Horses, Coronado had also made a rule that the indigenous porters of the expedition were there to carry the supplies, and not to do all the other tasks, like packing and unpacking each night, and looking after the horses. Usually these things would have fallen for them to do and so the Spaniards had to learn how to do them themselves. While some were perhaps from poorer families and used to it, although perhaps they came to the Americas expecting not to have to do these kind of things, those from richer backgrounds were used to servants, and they may have found this an unwelcome surprise. Earlier in Hoeg's book, there is a discussion about how there was an attempt to treat the indigenous people well, in relative terms, compared to the standards set by other conquistadors. Coronado gathered everyone together at the beginning of the expedition and announced that slave-taking and concubinage were banned. Although this was always supposed to be the case, according to rules written by the king and put into conquistador charters, they were not often adhered to. It seems that too many reports of bad behaviour had been emerging recently, So at this point, there was a crackdown going on. I want to do a full episode at some point, on the rules as they were set out, the tensions between the interests of the king, the church and the conquistadors, and what that meant for the end result on the ground. Now though, it's enough to know, that the conquistadors on this expedition were generally well behaved. Unless there was resistance, that is. There was an incident at a place called Chiametla, where the indigenous people refused to provide them with food. During a standoff, a Spaniard was captured, and another was killed when he went to rescue him. Coronado responded with heavy violence to set an example. Soon they reached Culiacan, where a small group of Spanish settlers had established a settlement on the coast. Here they spent a month resting before setting off again northwards. Coronado tried to follow the coastline, but he found that going was easier inland. Dinitza as well kept directing him away from the sea, as this was the route he supposedly took. He reassured Coronado that they were only a couple of days away from it, but soon a group of indigenous people they met told them that it would in fact take 15 days to reach the coast, and this was apparently one of the things which made Coronado begin to suspect Donitza might not actually know where they were going. Of course, it would have meant nothing to them, but they again crossed the modern-day border into the USA, somewhere around where Palominas in Arizona is today. From here they continued, along the border between Arizona and New Mexico, through difficult and arid territory. A few men died of thirst during this part of the journey, as did some of their horses. They were close to Sibola, though, so their troubles would be worthwhile. Except that they weren't. There was no way that the city was going to live up to the legend. It was, of course, not paved with gold. But even when the fantasies were put aside, to the eyes of the Spaniards, Sibola was pretty unremarkable. Cusco and Tenochtitlan were not constructed from precious metal, but they were large and grand, being the capitals of great empires. Sibola, by comparison, was small and austere. According to Donitza. he had seen it from a distance, and he doesn't really go into much detail about what it was like, at least not in the written accounts. Who knows whether he was adding fuel to the myths about its richness and importance in his conversations with people, or whether he simply said that he couldn't get close enough to say. Surely he must have been asked about the city many times. However he had been describing it, apparently he was the focus of much anger among the rest of the expedition when they looked down on Sibylla and realised that they weren't going to plunder themselves a great fortune there. As I mentioned last episode, Cibola was occupied by the Zuni people, and they called it, and still do call it, there are around 20,000 of them still around today, the Wiku. Things got off to attend start with them. The Spaniards bumped into four Zuni men in the countryside, and De Coronado decided to capture two of them, while the other two were sent to the town to tell its leaders that the Spanish were here to take control. Suspecting that this might cause resistance, Coronado sent a group forwards to see if there were any places on the road to the town which might be used by the Zuni to ambush them. Finding such a place, the Spaniards occupied it, and that night a group of Zuni soldiers did indeed turn up and try to set a trap. Seeing that their plan had been anticipated, they retreated, and the next day Coronado and the rest of the expedition went to Cibola The requerimiento was read to them, and they responded by firing arrows down towards the priests who read it. Coronado tried three times to persuade them that their coming was a good thing, and he presumably thought himself very reasonable for doing this. Eventually, however, he saw that he was going to have to fight a battle. There isn't much left of Hawiku today, but you can get an idea of what it might have looked like by looking at pictures of Taos, another similar site in the area. Hawiku was on a hill, and like Taos, it was made up of densely packed houses with flat roofs. It didn't have an external wall, but the houses themselves formed a sort of fortification, and the defenders could shoot arrows down from those roofs and throw rocks. This is what they did, and identifying Coronado as the leader, They aimed for him in particular, knocking him unconscious and piercing his leg with an arrow. It wasn't enough, however. The Spanish managed to overwhelm them and take the town. The Zuni population managed to escape, and so the Spanish entered an abandoned settlement. Once inside it was confirmed that there were no huge stashes of treasure. They did, however, find the Zuni food stores, Which was in that specific moment almost as valuable. They had completely run out of supplies. Soon the Zuni sent a delegation. They had decided that there wasn't much point trying to fight these strange foreigners. They agreed to make a grudging peace. Coronado rested for a while so that his leg could heal and he could decide what to do now. He sent a small group back to Mexico to give an account to the government there. In this group was Donitza, and this is where he leaves the story. He may have been sent back because Coronado was angry with him, because he had no more use now that Sibila had been found, or because it was no longer safe for him to be among the furious Spaniards. Another group was sent back into Sonora on the Mexican side of the border. Here they were to found another settlement. A third entered the territory of the Hopi people to see what they could find. They didn't find much that could help the Spaniards with their lack of food and water. Coronado had sent a group of ships with supplies up the coast from Culiacan with the idea of saving themselves the trouble of carrying all this overland. Having strayed so far from the sea, they had, of course, never met back up as planned. Now Coronado, decided that some of his men should go and see if they could meet with the ships. The boats had sailed up into the Sea of Cortez, the long gulf between Baja California and mainland Mexico. When they reached the top, they had disembarked, wandered around for a bit, and then eventually given up. Coronado's men found a message carved into a tree explaining this, and so that put an end to any hopes of help coming from that direction. The leader of that group died a bizarre death on his way back to Hawiku. Apparently a dog started chasing one of the sheep they had with them, and so he in turn decided to chase it off. He threw a spear at it, which missed, but because he had thrown it directly ahead, his panicked horse ran straight over it. Lodged into the ground, the butt of it went into the man's bladder, which was punctured. The next group Coronado sent out stumbled upon the Grand Canyon, and so they became the first Europeans to see it. While it must have been spectacular to unexpectedly find such a natural wonder, it proved to be a source of frustration. They badly needed water, and they could see it running along the bottom. They couldn't however get down there, despite three days trying. When they got back. Everyone else thought they were exaggerating when they tried to explain just how big the canyon is. Coronado had pretty much recovered now and he was tired of sending small groups out and then them returning with little information of use. He wanted to leave Sibola and now he knew just where he wanted to go. This mythical city of gold had turned out to be just that, a myth just as El Dorado had, down in South America. In Coronado's story, however, we get two of these myths for the price of one, through a group of indigenous people from the northeast. He had heard of a place called Kivira, a settlement whose inhabitants possessed huge quantities of gold and silver. Surely it had to be true this time. Surely. I mean... It wasn't like there was a recent precedent of one of these stories turning out not to be. Like, I don't know, the one he was sitting in at that very moment. Next episode, we will find out. If you've enjoyed this episode and the podcast as a whole, and you want to do something to help out, one of the things that's really useful is leaving a review wherever you get your podcast from. This helps new people discover the podcast. If you're feeling very generous, it is possible to make a small donation in order to help cover the costs of running the podcast. There's a link with information about how to do this in the show notes. A huge thank you to everyone who's already done this.
2: Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Latin American History Podcast, written and recorded by Max Sargent. For more information, visit the website www.maxargent.com slash The History of Latin America and that's spelt M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T If you have any comments or questions feel free to get in contact at podcast at gmail.com You can also find the Facebook page by searching for The Latin American History Podcast The Twitter handle is at History Latin AM, and if you've liked the show, you can help out by leaving a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you visit the website, you'll see that each episode is accompanied by relevant photos. Most of these are my own, taken during my time in Latin America. All these photos and more are available to purchase as prints at my Etsy shop. You can find this at www.etsy.com/slash photo That's spelt www.etsy.com slash M-A-X-S-E-R-J-E-A-N-T photo. Thanks for listening.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for 2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.